Welcome to Two for None, a cricket comedy podcast hosted by two men who may never have played for Australia in real life, but have always played for Australia in their hearts and minds. My name is Patrick Cullen, and I'm, of course, here with my co-host and absolute gentleman of the game, Christopher T. Barty. B-Train, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Pat. How are you this fine Friday evening? Mate, excited about the cricket, because that's just how I live my life. Just excited about the cricket, day in, day out. Um, and speaking of which, before we get to the uh, next test and wrapping up that fantastic test down in Adelaide, I thought we might have a quick chat about the WBBL B train because you're a mm. little bit excited about it in your heart of hearts. Yeah, look, absolutely, mate. I mean, the WBBL has just been a, a runaway success, hasn't it? In its first and second editions, and of course, this year we'll, we'll see BBL, uh, sorry, WBBL. 03, um, and mm. it looks as though the New South Wales domination of the WBBL is set to continue um, with the Sydney Sixers uh, just fielding a heck of a team. Yeah. Um, of course, led by um, the great Elise Perry, who we, of course, saw um, set the highest uh, score ever made by an Australian in a test match in the uh, Women's Ashes series just gone. Um, they're going to be hard to beat. How long do you think it's going to be before Elise Perry gets her face on a on a $10 note in Australia? Um, what, what do you think the timeline is for that? Look, I think you give, give it one more summer, mate, surely. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, you know, I mean, we joked last week that she might get a run um, for the Australian men's team batting number six. Although, you know, behind every joke, there is a bit of truth, Pat. And... Uh, mm. I mean, the other thing to consider too is that the Socceroos have a, um, a pretty daunting World Cup group coming up in Russia. Um, she's not bad with the, uh, the old kangaroo leather, um, Elise Perry. So I tell you what, if she makes a, an appearance at the 2018 Russia World Cup um, for the men's side, um, uh, we may well see it. Look, Chris, uh, is there anything she can't do? I don't think so. Just looking at that Sixers side, though, for the WBBL, it is very clear that that is a strong side. You've got Elise Perry, you've got Lauren Cheadle, who's a gun, Ashley Gardner, who's also a gun. Um, they are. That is a pretty strong side. They're going to be tough to beat. Although, Chris, you were just telling me before that the Perth Scorchers have lured in a pretty big name as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's a bit of, it's a bit uh, bittersweet here for the Perth Scorchers. I mean, um, they made a terrific signing in the off-season, of course, uh, signing uh, the current Australian captain, Meg cool. Lanning, uh, across from the Melbourne Stars, which is a massive Take clue. that, Melbourne. Um, but unfortunately, she's uh, out with a shoulder injury and doesn't look like she's going to participate um, in this year's edition of the Big uh, Bash. Um, so a bit of a bummer. Yeah. But um, look, I, I back the... Um, I back the Scorchers still in to be very strong, um, you know, ably led by um, Elise Villani. Um, also a who gun, had worth mentioning. Also a gun, and look, she had a, uh, a Women's World Cup uh, to remember, um, playing some crucial innings there for Australia. So, um, look, I, I think they'll be strong again, um, but I just can't see anyone uh, getting past um, that Sydney Sixers side. Me either, Chris, but look, we'll have to keep a red-hot eye on it. Uh, and, of course, the WBBL has become one of the most loved events in the cricketing calendar. So uh, exciting to see they've got another third year out of it. Exciting to see that Rebel Sport uh, has come on for a sponsor again. And that's really positive to see. The continuing growth and development and professionalization, that's not a real word, of the women's game. 
uh, and I think it's really, really important. Uh, so it's great to see Cricket Australia throwing their weight behind that and the sponsors getting behind it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I think one of the one of the nice features of it, um, in, in some ways, is the fact that you know some of these players, um, you know, are still holding part-time jobs. I mean, there was an article in the West Australian um, on the weekend featuring uh, a few of the Perth Scorchers players who, um, you know, one's a, a phys ed teacher at a, at a girls' high school, and um, you know, another one is a, a personal trainer in the gym, and um, only two of the players are, are full-time professionals. And um, whilst you know we look forward to um, bus going outside my house there. Um, uh, you know, we look forward to the women's game, of course, becoming fully professional as it should be. Um, but I think it also adds a bit of a, um, uh, a sentimental element, I think, to the game. And I think it's nice to see that there's still, um, you know, some amateur competitors um, uh, from a paycheck standpoint doing uh, great things. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And some, some cracking cricket being played there for sure. Um, let's move to the men's game, CTB, and what ended up being another washout smashing of the palms from Australia at down at Adelaide in the day-night pink ball test. But I tell you what, at the start of day five, which you correctly predicted, well done, CTB, um, at the start of day five, I was thinking we're on for a hell of a test match. Uh, and then things totally fell away for the English. I mean, Chris, over those five days, what really stood out for you in the Adelaide Test? Oh, look, I tell you what. I think from a um, from a spectator standpoint, um, it was a perfect Test match, really, um, in terms of um, you know the fact that you it did, first of all it went to a day five. Yep. Um, and on day five, um, all three results um, were still technically. I mean, the draw obviously, well, all four results are, you know, because obviously the tie is still possible there, but obviously the draw and tie are highly unlikely. But um, the fact that, you know, we had a game where, you know, um, England started well and Australia fought back and then Australia was in a dominant position and, um, you know, then England found their way back in the second innings to give themselves um, a chance to win, of course, through Broad and Anderson. Um, yeah, it was fantastic to see. And oh, I think. Just generally, the, the whole spectacle was great. And we've been crying out from a, uh, a cricket spectator point of view for um, uh, something to level the playing field, as it were, between bat and ball. Sure. I think over the past sort of uh, 15, 20 years, um, we've seen the bat become more increasingly dominant. Um, you know, and thanks to the advent of the day-night test, uh, they just don't have it all their own way anymore, the, the batsmen. Um, it's... Uh, you know, there's now a little pink uh, weapon in the hands of the ball. And I think credit has to go to the ground staff at the Adelaide Oval as well. They prepared arguably the perfect pitch for a day-night test. We all know that the pink ball breaks up a little bit, and in past games they've left a fair bit of grass coverage on there to try and save the ball as much as possible. But this wicket was hard. It was hard as rock. The bounce was nuts, um, and it made it such a great contest. I mean, it meant that the ball was flying through to the keeper, that it was swinging through the air, seeming off the turf. But... If you're a batsman and you applied yourself properly, there was runs to be made. And I thought it was such a great contest between bat and ball the whole game through. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and uh, so much was made. I mean, it was such a, um, a roller coaster ride. And I, you know, there was a lot of commentary, I think, uh, yesterday and certainly this morning um, about, um, you know, the benefit of hindsight and everyone, uh, the fact that uh, everyone has a PhD in hindsight. Um, 
You know, a lot of those PhDs... They're throwing them out, Chris. Australian National University is putting off right. degrees in hindsight. Um, get your PhD while... Well, I'll you, you want to get your PhD before the federal government raises those uh, university fees, but... Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, let's not get too political on that front. But uh, I think uh, what was really interesting for me was, um, you know, uh, the, the, the first thing that stood out was everyone got on Joe Root's back about setting Australia into bat. Um, and what a... You know, at, at the toss, it was seen to be such a... A risky and daring manoeuvre, um, and then all of a sudden they're chasing 4:42, and you know you see memes and all those sorts of things on the uh, on the internet saying Joe Root's an idiot. Um, well, lo and behold, um, come time for Australia's second innings, and we're 4:53 um, at stumps day four, and it's Steve Smith's turn to feel the blowtorch, and I've got to say, you know, I I, I feel as though they. Both captains were harshly judged. Um, I think if you look at the first innings um, with England, you know, they had Australia, you know, in a spot of bother. Um, certainly when uh, uh, Root, sorry, not Root, uh, Ush and Payne came together, um, you know, Australia was not, uh, mm. was not out of the woods there by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for an aggressive little cameo from um, Tim Payne, and, uh, and, you know, man of the match performance from Sean Marsh, um, you know, Australia would have made uh, a lot less runs and England may well have been vindicated. Now, unfortunately for Joe Root, um, his bowlers didn't turn up on the first session um, and that allowed Australia to establish yeah. a position of dominance. I mean, it's amazing how crucial the first hour is in, in all innings. You know, that first hour when you're dealing with the openers and you really get to see the bowler's intent. And England just bowled a little bit short, especially to David Warner. They gave Warner an ability to get himself off the mark and get himself going. Davies looked a little bit scratchy, but we all know that all he needs is a couple of cut shots and a couple of drives through cover before he comes right back. And with a 47 on the board off 102, he was relatively patient. He still hit five fours and he's and he started to bounce back. I'll tell you what I was pleased about CTB. I mean, obviously Sean Marsh's innings is the highlight of the of the first Australian innings. And his 126 was exceptional. Uh really, truly exceptional. I thought he batted amazingly well. Um, and he had patience when it was required. He let the ball go when it was needed. And when he hit him, they freaking stayed hit. He it just looks like he's in such great touch sauce. But I was also really pleased to see we got runs from Kawaja. There was runs from Payne. There was runs from Cummins. There was runs from Davey. There was runs from Hanscom even got a cheeky 36 that people contributed up and down the order. Um, but I guess the real highlight has to be that sauce innings, Chris. I mean, what did you think um, of, of that innings holding the Aussies together? Well, I'll tell you what, man. I was pretty stoked. Uh you know, as you know, I've been a proponent uh, for Sean Marsh's inclusion uh, in in the test side. I've, I've been a fierce advocate, Patrick. A fierce advocate, you have, Chris. And um, I was not in favour of Sauce, and I'm very pleased to see that I've been proved wrong. That that he is he has come out and dominated. It's really good that he did that. Then he's batting so well. It's good for the country. Look, and you know, you see, look here. He, he um, certainly gave a few chances in his inning, and it wasn't. Uh, wasn't flawless throughout, but you know, um, he certainly made the most of, of his opportunities. You know, and 15 fours and one six um, off 231 deliveries. Um, a lot of those uh, fours, of course, came towards the back end of his innings when Australia was looking to make 
uh, quick runs. So it, was, it actually was a lot more of a patient innings than perhaps what the stats let on, um, which I think is absolutely terrific because, as I said, you know, um, he came in at um, uh, 4 for 161, so still with a lot of work to do and managed to carry his bat, um, you know, for uh, almost 300 more runs, which is uh, pretty spectacular. And the other um, as the person that I alluded to before where I think they made a real difference in the game, um, they were also a uh, maybe a slightly uh, suspect inclusion to begin with, but I also made the case um, last uh, last podcast for their inclusion um, was Tim Payne. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, his intent to score um, was absolutely terrific um, and really just kind of <clears throat> set the tone for, the, for that Australian innings. And, um, you know, the fact that the tail was able to wag a little bit with uh, 44 from Cummins, again, also a critical innings. I think he played um, a, a critical role in both uh, of the Australian innings. But, um, you know, those 44 runs... You know, really made it made quite a big difference in the end. God, he looks um, good as a batsman, Paddy Cummins. It's outrageous how think. good he looks as a batsman. I mean, do you think? Uh, do you think Mitchell Stark's going to get pressure at number eight? I reckon he's under tons of pressure, mate. I mean, Starkey is wonderful to watch, and he was great in the second innings because he takes the long handle to him, Starkey. Starkey's here for a good time, not a long time. You know, it's like watching Warnie. Yes. You remember when Shane would come out to bat and he'd be like, all right, we're on here. Like, there's no doubt that if Starkey really applied himself, that he could be a, a genuine all-rounder if he, if he really stuck into his batting. But I think what's Stark he likes is um, taking wickets, hitting sixes, um, and and scoring a few runs where he can. Paddy Cummins is a slightly different deal. I mean, watching him bat, he's a very technically correct batsman. Um, he drives beautifully through cover. He can hit backward a point quite nicely, and he works off his pads well. I, I think if he decided to apply himself to his batting, he could probably bat as high as six CTB. Well, I mean, maybe I'm being optimistic, yeah. but I'm just saying. That, that's, uh, that's some call. Um, that, but uh, you're playing the shots and I like it. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're going to flash. Old big shots <laughs> coloured, that's what they call me. If you're going to flash, flash up. Um, I'll tell you what was one of the other highlights for me in the first innings was uh, you, you might remember when Nathan Lyon, um, I love watching Nathan Lyon bats, one of my favourite things. Um, I really loved watching any Taylor bat, but particularly Nathan Lyon because he had a couple of big fat dirty swipes, um, <laughs> you know, just trying to clear cow corner, which is also my favourite spot on the field. But, um, you know, he finds, true. He, you know, after, uh, you know, I think five or six attempts, uh, they finally got a hold of one. And uh, sent yeah. it over the road for six, and then promptly got out, which is always, you know, that's what Taylor's are there to do, really, isn't it? I mean, Chris, I have batted between uh, 11 and 7 for my entire career, and that is my modus operandi. You know, just try and hit one and try and hit it well. And I think if you do that, you've got a more than than ready to just toss it all in after that point. Um, but no, it was lovely seeing Nathan Lyon get onto one. Hey, you're not half wrong, mate. He was swinging like a rusty gate. Uh, Lino, hey, he, was, he was such a gun. Um, mate, just quickly... Uh, the Bancroft run out at the top of the innings. How much did that just make your stomach turn? Oh, look, it's difficult, isn't it? It's particularly with a, um, a a new batsman into the Australian order. You want to see them do well, and it's it's not easy for anybody, particularly if you're batting, you know, one um, and facing facing the first ball. But um, you know, look, I, I think we give Bancroft a bit of time, um, and 
anytime you're batting with a, a new partner, I mean, I, I'm not um, too sure how much time out in the middle he and Dave Warner would have had. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how many times they would have played together on development tours and, and the like. Um, so, look, these things will happen, but um, you would want to hope that doesn't happen too many more times. It did look like one of those classic yes, no, sorry uh communication exchanges uh which is possibly the worst kind so i mean hopefully we'll see banners bounce back at his home ground in perth i think we will i think he's quite likely to score mm. yeah no absolutely um the stage is really set for bancroft to do well and he certainly played uh well in the shield season so far and, and does like scoring runs at the whacker in fact i think um today even cricket.com.au named him in the sheffield shield side um, of the season uh, so far. So, um, yeah, look, I, I back him in the maximum. Mate, the English came out to bat facing, staring down the barrel of a huge total of eight for four for two declared from Australia, mainly largely off the back of that big Sean Marsh innings. Um, but as we said, some good other scores there, and they really never got going. Alistair Cook made a little 37 and didn't look too bad didn't look too great and from there it fell away quite quickly and quite sharply stoneman went for 18 vince for two root for nine malign for 19 mo and ali got 25 before nathan lyon took the catch of the summer i'm calling it early ctb i'm calling it now it was an absolute hanger um, how impressed were you with nathan lyon's bowling in that in that first inning ctb look you know um very impressed. Uh, you know, I mean, the figures speak for themselves, you know, four for 60, um, fairly economical um, there. He's just having a cracker of a time, isn't he? I mean, um, you know, that run out the first test and now this catch, um, he's having as good a time in the field as um, I have seen a spin bowler have in the field. Um, you know, you don't normally associate uh, spin bowlers with being um, brilliant fieldsmen. Um, unless, of course, they're a, a unicorn type like uh, sure. Maxwell. But um, uh, I just think he's having a great time at the moment. And, and look, that was a hell of a catch. But I'm going to pose this to you, Pat. Sure. Who is better, Nathan Lyon or Mitchell Stark in their court and bowl pants? Oh, that's a tough one, CTB. I mean, like credit to Starkey because he juggled that one and he juggled it beautifully and it was in his non-dominant hand. So I give him points there, but I cannot go past that Nathan Lyon hanger. Mate, it looked like, it looked like, you know, when you're in the pool as a kid and somebody throws a, a, a tennis ball and you just try and take screamers and you get that yeah. one in a hundred where you actually manage to grab it. It was exactly that. It, even watching the replays, it doesn't look like he's going to take it. And then all of a sudden, it just sticks in that mitt. And I mean, that's that's the sort of time Australia are having at the moment. Like, things are just going their way. Mm. We didn't mention it, mm. but in the first innings and the second innings as well, like, the DRS decisions that just went Australia's way were phenomenal. Oh. I mean, oh. Oh, Tim Payne got two in a row. So did Sauce. Like, there were just DRS. I think, um, you know, mental. even though we did have a dip, at, we had a dip at James Anderson for... Uh, Maybe not turning up in the first innings, but to be fair to the guy, I think he had maybe four or five yeah, yeah. decisions that just on any other wicket uh, would have gone his way. I mean, I think um, they'd uh, put in some sort of uh, trampoline modifier <laughs> into the DRS system and, uh, you know, just like the old video, the old video game modifier. 
Um, they put but, in a um, cheat code, hadn't they, CTB? They just whacked in a cheeky little cheat code straight yeah. into the, the software, and next thing you know, uh, balls are just bouncing all over the joint. I mean, that one, especially to Tim Payne, I saw that live and went, oh, boy, he's cooked here. And that DRS, you know, just bounced like a freaking trampoline. And, and that's what I was saying before about the ground staff, like credit to the ground staff for preparing such a great pitch. Um it really did well. Uh, in terms of England's uh, innings, England's first innings, I've, I've really got to tip my hat to young Craig Overton, uh, who's out mm. in his first game. And look, he took a couple of wickets in the first dig. Um, Overton, he grabbed three for 105, so not a great economy. About 3.18 runs and over, not too bad. And he bowled with pace and he bowled with aggression. And then he came out and made 41 with a bat. He top scored. For a kid on debut mm-hmm. who's 23 years old, that's mm-hmm. pretty bloody impressive, Chris. What did you make of it? Yeah, look, he's a big tall unit, isn't he, Craig? Um, if there was, uh, look, I think, I think there's plenty of positives for England to take out of that game, certainly moving into the Wacker test. Um, but um, Craig Overton, for me, um, was the bright spot, and he looks quiet, doesn't he? He looks like someone that uh, you can uh, you can build a, build an attack around. So, um, looking credit to him, you know, and he, he threw caution to the wind, um, and they really did need that, that 41, didn't they? Yeah. Um, because otherwise it was, you know, looking at, uh, uh, looking at all sorts of uh, trouble, uh, certainly when he came in. Um, at seven for 142. I mean, if they get skittled for 150, uh, you know, there's no coming back from there. So, um, you know, he did keep them in the game. I'll tell you what, Chris, I said it last week, mate, but I mean, that English top six is looking real fragile. I mean, Johnny Best, though, has got to move up. He's the only one that looks any good in that. Um, Joe Root, obviously, is a quality batsman. But I'm wondering about Root's ability to convert 50s into 100s. I was saw on our Epic Ashes group chat, Chris, that you might have seen a couple of English boys were mentioning that he's got a real problem with getting out in the 70s, Joe Root. Um, and I think that's what's separating him from Steve Smith at the moment. I mean, Smithy, if he gets past 50, if he gets past 70, he gets this look in his eye where he's just determined not to get out. And and if Joe Root had kicked on to make a big 100 in that final innings, the game could have been completely different. The way it ended up working out in the wash, Australia won it easily and, and everyone's decisions are vindicated. But... It's, I mean, it's the beautiful thing about Test cricket, you know. It's the beautiful thing about Test cricket. It is balanced on a knife edge so often. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I think that that's the comparison that people are making um, between Smith and Root at the moment is that um, if you look at the conversion rate um, of Smith as compared to Root, um, as you say, when Smith um, gets in, you know, he's really keen to go on and make a big, dirty, fat one. Um, <laughs> whereas, is that a technical um, term, Chris? Uh, a big dirty fat one. Uh, no, um, but uh, you know he, he does want to make runs. You know he's, he's hungry for runs. You know I think he said um, in his press conferences, uh, Steve Smith, uh, that he just loves batting. Um, and and fair play to him. Oh, I think look, um, Joe Root um, could be one of the great English batsmen of all time if he's not already. Um, and we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but. Um, you're right, he does have uh, a tendency to get out between 50 and 100. Um, and in a game such as this, the key difference was um, one side had a player who was able to go on and capitalise, um, and the other did not. 
And look, in Australia, you don't score first inning hundreds. If none of those players in the top six stand up and score a hundred, you're generally not going to be in a good position. It's a generalization, but more often than not, it ends up coming out. So England ended up making 227 all out in their first innings. Australia decided not to enforce the follow-on, which was a controversial decision by the end of the day, mostly because James Anderson got that pink ball to talk. He got it to speak seven languages in reverse. He got it talking Latin. It was outrageous. Also, on top of that, Chris, not only did he get the ball to move through the air and off the seam, but their line and length got a lot better. I think in that first innings, they were just bowling a bit short. And once Anderson started swinging it and pitching it up, the Australians started to look all over the place. It started to look like that disastrous uh, most recent English tour of the Ashes that we went over to Chris mm. I don't know that's what I got flashbacks to did you get flashbacks to that uh, oh look it was an interesting decision wasn't it uh, not to enforce the follow-on but I, I keep coming back to the fact that um, look we'll have to find out what, what a university was uh, sponsoring the game because again those PhDs in hindsight were being handed out left right and centre um, <laughs> collect your floppy hats at the door folks that's right look and and look I did give it some thought um, it would have been obviously you know look I'm not going to lie you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable at uh, 453 I was more uncomfortable um, you know when England were only I think three down heading into day five with 150 on the board um, yeah. but I make, a, I make a couple of points um, first of all um, if we look at um, Australia's strengths at the moment as a team on the whole um, it's with our bowling unit um, and uh, you know they are getting the ball to move around and, and you know look really good and all that kind of thing. Um, but you also need to look at the type of bowlers that we have in our uh, team at the moment, um, in particularly uh, Stark and Cummins, who are explosive bowlers. Um, you know they do a lot of damage in a short period of time, um, but they are guys that have um, an injury history, and we have to get them through. Um, at least another three more tests. So um, given that with that in mind, if we can give them more time to put their feet up um, and also give our batsmen a chance to have more time in the middle, um, knowing that we already had a 270 or you know, 250 lead or whatever it was, um, you know, we didn't, as it turned out, we didn't need to make too many. Um, you know, um, we could have gone out for you know, 28 and still won the game. So um, you know, the fact is that uh, the tactic worked um, did it make everyone comfortable? Probably not. Um, but at the end of the day, that's that's Steve Smith's job is to do what he thinks he needs to do at the time to win games, and um, he did. So, look, you know, ideally it'd be nice to win by an innings and, and so on and so, but um, at the end of the day they got the job done and, and the bowlers got uh, put their feet up. Yeah, and that's probably going to do us some good in the long run. I will say again that I think Jimmy Anderson bowled really well in that in that innings. Uh, it was nice to see Stuart Broad go wicketless, though. That always <laughs> brings a, a little smile to my face. And good to see Chris Wokes get some wickets as well, CTB, from an English perspective. Um, Wokes has looked a little bit shaky for me at points, so it was good to see him get his tail up, get some confidence. And I thought they bowled well there. Well, I thought that gave us a real indication of, of, of what England can do that's right. when that bowling unit's firing. That's right. Look, I think, you know... Uh, as much as we, we want to see Australia win 5-0, um, you know, it, it's also nice to see um, a genuine contest. 
And, um, you know, neither side coming into this actual series is what you would necessarily call the finished product. Um, you know, both sides have the detractors both home and abroad in terms of the way that they're made up. Um, you know, and we've seen a little bit from Australia um, to be encouraged, um, you know, in the first and, and certainly the first half of that second test. Um, but we hadn't seen England come out yet. Um, and so the fact that, um, you know, Jimmy Anderson was able to conjure some of the old magic. Um, and, you know, Broad didn't take a lot of wickets, but, um, you know, still looked dangerous in patches. And then obviously Wokes, who didn't do much in Brisbane, didn't do much in the first innings, but, you know, we saw that there is a bowler in there. Um, you know, it, it does make it a little bit exciting moving into a uh, pace-friendly environment such as the Wacker. Yes, Chris, and the Wacker is going to be a very exciting test match. I'm, I'm really pumped for it. Um, and, of course, before we get there, let's just quickly look at the England's last innings. Um, they started the day of day five in a really good position. Joe Root at the crease just hit a 50. Things were looking up. But then Joshy Hazelwood came out on the last day and started bowling freaking thunderbolts, Chris. You know, one of his balls in his first over was 148 kilometers an hour. Josh Hazelwood. I mean, I was sledging him last week for being a slowpoke. Turns out he's <laughs> actually an express quick in his heart of hearts, Chris. Who knew? Yeah, well, look, um, uh, one bumper doesn't make a summer, does it? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> look, oh, look, it's good to see, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's good, you know, he's got that in him. And I don't, uh, I think Glenn McGrath's fastest ever test delivery was something like 142 kilometres. Oh, wow. And he, of course, normally bowled around that 127, 128 range. So um, maybe he's just sort of breaking away from that uh, pigeon comparison. Well, look, I mean, being compared to the pigeon isn't isn't a bad thing unless we're talking about his practical jokes, by all accounts. Um, or batting. Good point. <laughs> the batting is terrible. Uh, Joe Root ended up making 67. Uh, Johnny Bairstow, batting all the way down the order somewhere, ridiculous, made 36. Um, and Mark Stoneman made 36 as well. Um, CTB, what do you think the English are going to do from here? I mean, for me, Johnny Bairstow has got to come up in the order. I understand that he likes batting seven. I think he feels comfortable there from all accounts. But give the gloves to their other keeper. They have another keeper in the squad who's supposed to be the best keeper in England. Um, give that kid the gloves. Pump Johnny up the order because they are looking shaky from about position two through to about six. Don't you reckon? Yeah, look... Um they are, uh, but, um, you know, Bairstow may want to bat seven um, so that he um, is more of a, a match winner rather than um, someone that is dependent upon to make runs. So I think when you're batting seven, you're kind of uh, maybe hoping that uh, this toxic guys in front of you have made the runs. Um, you know, look, it really depends on, on what their other weekend can do, I think. Um, I, look, I think they um, were relatively consistent, you know, obviously in both innings, 227, 233, so they got better as the test match went on. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see, you know, I, I think um, the Wacker could potentially be uh, also bowler-friendly conditions. I'll tell you what I'm excited about, Chris. I'm excited about watching Mitchell Stark steam in at the Wacker. In that last innings particularly, he was ferocious. The short balls were vicious. The length balls were swinging and hooping around all over the joint. And that last wicket was just beautiful. Oh, delightful. 
it's great to see Starkey in form. And we haven't mentioned Nathan Lyon as much as we did last week, but I think it's worth just saying again how much of a wonderful bowler he is. I mean, he bowled 25 overs in that second innings, Chris. He got two wickets for 45. He's going for 1.8. I mean, when you're going for that few runs and over, you can really tie up an end so the boys, the big quicks, can tear in from the other end and just cause some havoc. It's a great situation to have. Oh, we can buy the buy in that second innings. Um, the two batsmen that he got out, Alistair Cook and Moen Alley. You know, wow. not exactly bunnies. No, Chris, not exactly bunnies. I'll be interested to see what's happening with Moeen. He hasn't really looked that great with the bat. Um, not, Lyon's definitely got his measure. And he's really been struggling with the ball, I think. So mm. it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. I mean, you'd be unlikely to bring in a spinner for the Wacker pitch. Going with and, and Mr. Trevor Bayliss, is the English coach, has made it pretty clear that I don't think he's going to make any changes. He's under the misapprehension mm. that he's opened up some scars in the Australian lineup after this after this win. And I felt like saying to him, Trev, sure, you didn't do too badly, <laughs> but at the end of the day, mate, you got freaking trounced. So. I don't know about scars there, mate. I don't know, Chris. What do you reckon? Ash's mind games? Well, he's got to say something, doesn't he? Uh, (laughs) He's got a press conference. Um, He's not going to do the old Marshall and Leach. Um, You know, I'm only here so I don't get fine. Um, But, (laughs) although I'd like to see that. Yeah, so would I. Look, look, um, Moe Alley is going to captain the England side when they take on Western Australia or a Cricket Australia 11 in South Perth um, this weekend. Um, so look at it, hopefully that'll be a chance for him sort of to get his head straight. And sometimes when you ha- have a bit more pressure on you and, and assume a bit more responsibility, because um, I believe no used to sort of bat a little bit further up the order and maybe he's one of those players that responds a little bit more to the limelight. Um, so hopefully... You know, this uh, tour match at Perth and the captaincy, um, as it has done for one of our uh, upcoming topics, um, will, um, you know, harness his uh, focus. In the end, CTB Australia won by 120 runs, a resounding victory. Uh, You picked it. Not only did it go for five days, tick for Chris. Uh, Mitchell Stark got the most wickets, eight. That's also a tick for Chris. And neither of us picked Sauce to make 126, get the most runs. So uh, all around, Chris, as we said, a fantastic test. Let's turn our eyes forward. Uh, let's turn our minds and our hearts and our brains forward to the test at the Wacker and a big inclusion, CTB. From the wilderness, from the outside, the younger brother of Sauce, Mitchell Marsh, comes into the team. What did you make of that? Uh, well, if we play the tape back, I said it might be an option. Um, oh, <laughs> come on now. Three for uh, three. Good Lord. Yeah, I'm just trying to make a big dirty fat one back. Uh, <laughs> While I got my eye in. Um, <laughs> side note, actually, unrelated to Mitch Marsh, but sure. uh, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, look, I think Cricket Australia is really up their game with the digital coverage of oh, the matches. Absolutely. And one of the things I really enjoy, um, look, this, the uh, national sporting organisations don't always get their due, but I will give Cricket Australia their due on this one. One of the things I really enjoy is the fact that they have multiple cricket radio stations um, mm. that you can listen to the game. So there's, of course, uh, you know, ABC, which is a, you know, which is a classic uh, radio broadcaster for cricket. Go to. Uh, Fairfax Media uh, gets involved. They've got a, a station. 
Um, it's also a lot of fun to listen to the BBC commentary from an English oh, standpoint. Absolutely. Um, just uh, torturous to listen to, but, you know, also <laughs> a lot nothing, of fun. There's nothing like um, listening to Jeffrey Boycott complaining. <laughs> you know, nobody complains like Jeffrey. He's really got it down to a fine art. Um, but on that, Chris, I've been really enjoying the ABC commentary. I mean... Uh, Chris Rogers is such an insightful guy to listen mm. to and it's not just because he's ginger and I'm ginger and we're all ginger friends um, folks but I mean that does play a role but I think having him in there um, Mr. Michael Hussey appearing now and then mm-hmm. to throw mm-hmm. in a few tidbits of wisdom Dirk Nunnes has turned into a really great commentator as well I mean I'm far enjoying listening to those guys um, than I am listening to uh, the Channel 9 boys well, look, I think, um, uh, you know, the nine commentary sort of an interesting phase. I must admit it's, it, it has become a little bit difficult to listen to. Um, for me, you know, I'm not, look, I've been a, I grew up on the Channel 9 commentary. It's, uh, you know, it was a, a critical part of uh, my summers for, for many years. Um, but uh, I feel like they're employing... Um, a, 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 pundits who are big names in the game, um, mm. but I think commentating is a slightly different thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different skill. It's like, it's a bit like, you know, you see in, uh, in, in football, uh, both AFL and, and, uh, and the round ball code, um, that, you know, sometimes the greatest players don't always make the greatest coaches. And I think sometimes the great players don't always make the greatest commentators. Um, That's a good point, mate. I don't mind Michael Clark's insight. You know, look, he's yeah. obviously not the most popular guy going around at the moment. I, I don't think his autobiography did him uh, any favours there. But, um, you know, his insight is really good. He presents really well. I struggle a little bit with Kevin Peterson in the commentary box, I must oh, admit. Yeah. KP, um, shut it down. Yeah, shut it down, KP. Um, you know, um, but he's. But I, I quite liked him as a big bash commentator. You know, I thought he was, yeah. in, that, in that context, I thought he was quite good. Um and the Big Bash is a bit more, you know, it's a bit more a couple of blokes hanging out, you know, bantering, you know, firing off shots. I, I think in test cricket, I don't know, maybe it's just because we got so used to Bill and and the great Richie Benno and all of those guys. We have a particular voice in our head that's that we're all kind of looking for and waiting for. Um, well, and I wonder I mean, if they're trying to shape, shape Mark Taylor as the new Benno. And yeah. It's not tight. Well, I like Mark Taylor. I like him as a commentator. He was Who does a great like captain. He's a great guy. Yeah, brilliant to watch. He's a good mind. Um, he's in the next man. I'm not sure. He does do a great job selling air conditioning units, though. Um, you know what? He does do a great job of that. We will absolutely give him credit for it. But we've, we've totally lost track, mate. Let's get back to the whacker. Uh, I believe you read an article about our newest inclusion to the test side, Mitchell Marsh, today from one of our favourite all-time cricketers. That, that caused a bit of a stir in your heart, CTV. Yeah, look, um, it's, you know, regular listeners of our, of our podcast. Um, <laughs> the, All 10 the, of you. Yeah, well, uh, 45, I believe. 45, 45. Yeah, that's right. That's the stat. Um, uh, would know that I, I am a, uh, I hold a candle for the Marsh Brothers. Um, but I felt that uh, another gentleman who holds a candle for the Marsh Brothers, uh, Justin Langham, maybe went a touch far by suggesting, um, I hope I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, um, that uh, Mitchell Marsh was a future Australian captain. Yeah, I mean, that's a big call. 
Chris. Uh, calls don't come much bigger than that. I mean, there's one problem I see um, with Mitch Marsh being the captain, and that is that first, he's got to get in the team. Uh, second, he's got to stay in the team. Third, he's got to not get injured and keep his form up with bat and ball long enough to stay in the team. Um, and I think those those factors are enough to ask of someone. I mean, as we were saying last week, mate, I mean, the all-rounder, the pace bowling all-rounder who can bat six, average 40 with the bat or 50 ideally, and, you know, 20 or 30 with the ball is a lot to ask of anybody. And I think mm. adding captaincy on top of that would be very difficult. I mean, I don't even think Jacques Callas captained uh, South Africa for, for particularly long periods. I think mainly Graham Smith took that role and then it got swapped mm. to um, FAF or AB. Yeah, well, so I think from, from memory it um, went Cronje uh, um, uh, to Sean Pollock uh, and I, I feel as though um, Graham Smith may, may have come in straight after that. I mean, fans of South Africa, maybe I'll prove it's wrong there. Um, but um, look, it'll be... A future Australian captain, I'm not sure. Perhaps in the shorter form of the game. Um, sure. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it beyond him to potentially be part of the leadership group. Um, yep. I'll, I'll pay that for sure. One thing I will say about JL is he is a bit of a, a master of the mind game. Um, oh, you're not wrong there, CTB. JL loves a mind game. He's a psychological uh, tactician for sure. Um, for sure. And, um, you know, one thing I, you know, I think we've identified potentially about the Marsh Brothers is, is that they are confidence players. And we're, when they're up and about, they yes. are really, really up and about. And when they're not, um, you know, that's when they sort of uh, get uh, you'll get a trouble. But there's no doubt at the moment Mitch Marsh is up and about and well he should be. And perhaps JL, knowing that, and I am absolutely uh, uh, hypothesising here, um, knowing that has decided, look, I'm just going to pump his tyres up. I'm going to get them to about 180 PSI. They're going to be so pumped, um, you know, um, he's going to have to ride on the smoothest of footpaths so they don't bump. They're that pumped. Um, <laughs> no bumps. No bumps. No bumps. Smooth roads, smooth tyre. Um, in fact, that's how smooth the road's going to have to be. It's going to have to sail out. It's going to be water. Yeah. He's going to ride his bike on water. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, but I, I can see why he was included. You know, again, reading articles today where everyone's saying, why was he included? He's got a test match average of 21. Well, yeah, all right, fair enough. But his first class bowling figures are fantastic. His test bowling figures are okay. Um, and he's making a bucket load of runs at shield level. And um, that's what we want to see. And if there was a game that he was going to play, it's the third match of the series where you need an extra center, potentially because if the game's going to be played at the Wacker, it's a grassy wicket. Your um, three key fast bowlers may be a little bit battle-weary from the first two tests. Um, and they're going to need a little bit of extra help carrying the load. Um, and even if it's not a grassy deck, um, and, and the traditional whacker, whacker uh, uh, I was going to say zipper, I don't know if that's not a word. Um, it's not the, you know, occasionally uh, sort of the fast and bouncy um, bits that we're used to seeing, and it is more of a, um, a, a flat track, then you're going to need a bit of extra bowling help. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the other blokes around that can perform that sort of role, um, you know, yes, Glenn Maxwell's unlucky after making an incredible double hundred 
followed up by 96. But he bowls off. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Cartwright isn't in brilliant form. I can tell you this, mate. I bet as we speak, Glenn Maxwell is charging into the nets somewhere in Victoria trying to figure out how to bowl medium paces. I bet he's, I bet he's working on that as we speak. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right about Hilton Cartwright, though. Hilton's isn't in great form. Moses Henriques is is a classic fizzer. Um, and so it really leaves us with, with Mitch. Um, and again, if he can come good... It would be just incredible, mate. I mean, so how do you see it working, CTB? If Mitch comes into the side, who misses out? Well, you know, I mentioned last before the uh, last test match that Peter Hanscom might have been in a bit of trouble. Um, I don't think he's done himself any favours. Uh, you know, I think Mark Wall came out in the press today and said that, um, you know, um, he, he looks out of touch. Um, but he's a class act. You know, he's a good batsman. You know, you don't get a test match average of 47 um, without being a good batsman. But what probably works against Peter Hanson at the moment is the old uh, Eddie Murphy approach of uh, what have you done for me lately? Um, yes. And the answer, unfortunately, is not much. Um, although he is a great batsman to watch when he's, when he's in his pomp. And uh, I guess the selectors are kind of facing with decision. Do we back in the guy who did such a great job for us last summer um, and is so valuable in the field. I mean, he's a good fielder, Peter Hansen. Great. Um, he's a good Especially him, sure. Everybody likes him. Um, so you make a decision, do you back in the guy for one more, one more test um, or do you make a switch um, to the unicorn and see if... <laughs> Can the unicorn work some magic? Um, all right, CTB, let's let's have some predictions here, mate. You are doing well. You are three ahead. You are three. I am zero. Good starts all round. Um, firstly, how many days do you think it's going to go for? Who's going to get the runs and who's going to get the most wickets? Uh, well, first off, I'll say Australia to win. Yep, um, good point. I forgot to ask that. My, my guess is Australia to win... Um, I want to say three days. Ooh. I want to say three days, but I'm not going to say three, three days. I'm going to say four days. Oh, okay. I'm going to say four days. Is that because I got too enthusiastic about it? Uh, look, you, you pumped me up, Pat. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you read the directions on the side of my tyre, it says 80 PSI. But you were going to know that's too much pressure. That's yeah, too much pressure. Yeah. Um, I hear you, mate. It's a problem in my life. Yeah. Um, okay, so look, four days. Four yeah, days. And what was the last question? Who's going to take the most wickets? Yeah, uh, wickets and runs, mate. Ooh, it's a good question. I think um, I quite like Hazelwood for this. Can I say Josh Oh, Hazelwood? yeah. Yep, I can see your point. Fast, fast, bouncy track. Joshy gets a lot of bounce, moves it both ways. He could be a real weapon on that sort of surface. Mm. Just a little nip, by the way. Just a, yeah, just a little nip. Yeah, he'll, he'll be he means a bit. Uh, and who for the runs, Captain? Who are you backing to get the runs? Uh, most runs. Um, good, another good question. It's often hard to predict most runs at the Wacker, isn't it? Um, look, I'm going to say Kawaja. CTB, I like Kawaja. Because um, he looked good in the first dig, um, he looked strong for his 50s, been in good shield form. Um, you know, he does love to bat in Australian conditions. He does. They don't get uh, more quintessentially Australian from a cricket point of view. 
than the whacker. And I just think the extra little bit of bounce. And, and uh, yeah, he does like um, the faster bowling, was he? So it's a tough one. It's a tight one between himself and David Warner. I mean, David Warner does love the whacker. David Warner loves the whacker. Oh, he loves it. Um, He's all about it. He's got shirts, T-shirts, hats. <laughs> he just wears them everywhere. I put it literally, and I was like, where can I get one? Um, <laughs> where's the shop for that? Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to uh, – I, I said four days instead of three days, so I'm going to apply my risk here and say it was a coercion to uh, make a hundred. Good man, Chris. So, to recap – Four days, you're back in Hazelwood for the wickets and you're back in um, Mr. Kawaja for the runs, Australia to win. I'm going to agree with you, Chris, um, but um, in the interest of having some sporting difference, I'm going to say that it's going to go the whole distance. I'm going to say we're going to get into the fifth day. Um, I'm going to say we're going to get into day five. I'm going to back Davey Warner for the uh, most runs because I backed him last time. And I just cannot see a five-test series happening in Australia without Davies scoring the most runs at some point. I mean, if that happens, then then we've got a bit of pause for concern, if you ask me. So I'm going to keep backing Davy till he makes some runs. <laughs> it's a real simple philosophy. Uh, so five days, Davy to get the most runs. I think Australia's going to win as well. Uh, because I just cannot see England winning at the Wacker. I really cannot see it happening. Um, uh, so, David to get the most runs, and I think Starkey's going to get the most wickets, because mm-hmm. I think he's in great form. He's doing a lot with the ball, and I think he's he could be really dangerous at the Wacker. Chris, I really hope, though, I really, really, really hope the ground staff are rolling the heck out of that pitch. I hope it is like concrete. I hope it bounces like nobody's business, um, that it's fast, that it's rapid. I hope we see a whacker of old and not the whacker that we saw for that test against New Zealand a couple of years ago where every other bloke got 200 runs and it was a freaking run. Yeah, I'll tell you what, because I I was there that day when um, David Warner made... you know, did a bucket load of runs. Um, I think we can safely say he scored a big dirty that one that, that day. Um, the dirtiest of us. But um, Ross Taylor came out and made an even bigger, dirtier, fatter one. And it just gets well, that's boring. Good. It just gets boring. It just gets dull. <laughs> so that's my predictions. Um, yeah. So I hope the pitch is bouncy and fast, and I really hope that. Um, that Davey gets out there and scores some runs and Starkey tears them apart. And also, too, that the English put up a good fight, that, that we have a good competitive test match and that they, you know, bounce back a bit and, and regain some fight and put Australia under pressure. That's what I really hope for. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, these might be conditions that, uh, you know, we talked about Craig over did before and these might be conditions that work really well for him. Absolutely. Um, so we could be seeing uh, the birth of uh, the next Fred Spotter. Oh, oh. Fred the Demon Spotworth, what an obscure reference. I love it, CTB. Uh, speaking of obscure references, let's go to our British correspondent, Tom K. Hawkey, for a British bulletin. Tom K. Hawkey here with your bulletin from a Brit. The day-night test meant that play started at 3.30am here in the UK. Having followed the match mainly through the press, I decided to hope beyond hope that England could pull off one of those special, memorable test performances on day five, chip off the runs with two wickets to spare and celebrate a famous victory. Two balls in, and I wondered why I'd bother setting the alarm at all. But let's go back to the beginning. 
Joe Root kicked things off by doing his best impression of Ricky Ponting in 2005. No, not by being brilliantly run out by a substitute fielder, but by winning the toss and electing to bowl. Even his own pacemen seemed surprised, and they came out and gave a lacklustre performance. Just one ball in the first 13 overs would have actually hit the stumps. However, we showed in the second Aussie innings that we can still bowl, and Jimmy Anderson's maiden Pfeiffer in Australia got us licking our lips and thinking maybe, just maybe. No, our issue is with the bat. In four attempts, England have managed to pass 300 just once, and that was en route to a paltry 302. Cook is a huge concern, but sadly we treat our ex-captains like royalty. If one of our Ashes debutants had performed this badly, they'd be dropped faster than Betamax for the third test. Cook, though, will be allowed to bat on, and we all just have to cross our fingers that he can regain the form of seven years ago. Root needs to up his conversion rate, and those Ashes debutants are going to need bigger contributions to avoid the pressure of the Aussie press on their shoulders. Finally, Moeen Ali is sticking out like a sore, well, finger. He won the hearts of the nation in the English summer when he became the first Test player ever to contribute 25 wickets and 250 runs in a four-match series. However, with his sore finger, his bowling looks ordinary. And coming into bat with so few runs already on the board, he hasn't got the freedom to play the way he wants to. He's beginning to look like dead weight in the team, filling up a spot just because he played well six months ago. In this situation, you might consider throwing in the backup spinner Mason Crane. However, there are three things going against that plan. First, he's untried at test level. Second, he's something like 12 years old and probably has a lot of homework to catch up on. And third, we're heading next to Perth. Given that the Wacker is bowing out of hosting tests after this match, the groundsman will surely have prepped a classically fast and bouncy pitch to give it the send-off it deserves. It's frustrating to watch this England side implode so much, especially given the fact that this is not a vintage Aussie team either. They're just not quite as bad as we are. If we're going to lose, I'd rather be fried than lightly poached. When the 5-0 scoreline is written into the next edition of the Wisden Almanac, it won't tell the full story of a team that won by being slightly less not that good than the other. There are reasons to be cheerful. Wokes bowled tidily and batted bravely. Jimmy roared back and took his maiden Pfeiffer in Australia. I, I know I said that already. It's just some words are really worth repeating. Craig Overton played well on debut. Note the pronunciation there, Australia. Debut. And his bowling of Smith was particularly sweet. Smith had been earlier sledging him about his bowling speeds. Craig smiled, bided his time, and then beat Smith for pace. On sledging, the verbals are cranking up game on game. Johnny Bairstow today said he would take matters further if certain things were repeated, which made the head-butting gloveman sound like a petulant primary school child. However, we've yet to hear any classic lines from either side. Just Google Flintoff Tino Best Windows if you want to see how sledging should really be done. I'll see you guys again soon after the next inevitable England collapse. And that is unfortunately all we have time for today on Two for None. Uh, tune in after the next test in Perth to get a full test wrap-up and preview the next one down in the East Coast, the far, far East Coast. Uh, Chris, greatly enjoyed having you on the show today, mate. Thanks for being with me as per usual. Any final thoughts before we uh, cut the credit music? Uh, yeah, look, mate, uh, if anyone is interested in uh, putting out a deposit uh, for an ice cream at the Wacker, it is uh, a 20% deposit. Um, 
Unfortunately, if it melts before you get back to your seat, you don't get your money back. Um, so I hope you oh, save up all your pennies. Um, I hope you're able to access your super account early. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, you're not going to be eating. Because uh, no one can afford anything there. It's just too expensive. Look, I'd heard the West Australian economy was bad, but I didn't realize it was that bad, Chris. Thank you for that economics update. Uh, Big thank you to Tom Hawkey as well, our UK correspondent for the British Bulletin. We'll be back after the next test and go the Aussies. Fanon is presented by Patrick Cullen and Christopher T. Bardi. Our logo, graphic design and editing assistance by Shah Neckington. Special thanks to our UK correspondent, Tom K. Hawkey. We are produced by Ginger Snap Productions, and if you'd like to get in touch, please email us at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com. If you get the chance, please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes. It only takes a moment and really help us out. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, and we'll see you again after the next test. Hello and welcome to Two for None, a cricket podcast where two people are very silly and talk about cricket. It's good. You should listen.